Well, turn with me to the passage we read together from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 verse 39 is our text and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last he said truly this man was the son of God. This incident is very much a personal encounter with Jesus. That's our theme this morning and it'll also be our theme tonight. Today we're in Mark chapter 15. We're going to explore the Roman centurion's very personal encounter with Jesus at Calvary. Tonight we'll rewind back to Mark chapter 5 in a very different scenario and we'll explore there Legion's very personal encounter with Jesus in the Decapolis. So where are we going with this personal encounter with Jesus from the vantage point of the Roman centurion of Mark chapter 15? Well, we're going to think about two things. First of all, what he saw. Mark tells us very clearly what he saw when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly this man was the son of God. So what he saw and secondly what he said. So we've got a couple of subheadings under what the centurion saw. We're going to explore his providence and his position. The centurion, Mark tells us, saw that in this way Jesus breathed his last. In a word, he saw how Jesus died. The question we're asking this morning is, what exactly did he see? Because there is clearly more to what the centurion sees than meets the eye. He sees more than just a crucifixion. So what are we to glean from what he saw? Why is it important to mark Uh, the writer of this gospel to record what he saw and how is it relevant to us today as we stand where he stood in the shadow of Calvary because what we're going to do is we're going to attempt to stand where he stood. Mark tells us that the centurion stood there facing Jesus as Jesus breathed his last. In fact, Luke tells us in his account in Luke chapter 23 that he witnessed the whole spectacle. As if it's some kind of viewing, some kind of theatre production, almost to suggest that the Roman centurion has the front seat. But perhaps not by choice, but more out of duty, because 
After all, he is a Roman officer with the rank of centurion, responsible for at least a hundred men, and it happens to be his detachment that has been chosen on this day to put Jesus, the man from Galilee, to death. Mark tells us that he is the commander in charge of this very high-profile crucifixion. Now, this would suggest to us that the centurion himself may have been a respected, even perhaps a ruthless, merciless, cold-blooded officer with some military clout. The caliber of man the the Roman authorities would have been looking for to oversee this highly charged event at Calvary where, amongst other things, crowd control might have been an issue. Now, the centurion in question would have observed the death of many, many crucified criminals. He may have planned his day clinically going over the crucifixion program for the day. Perhaps this centurion cared little for those who were being crucified. It's just another day at the office for this centurion. But this crucifixion event is not like the rest. In reality... The centurion witnesses much, much more than he himself expected. Mark tells us, as do the other gospel writers, that he sees and hears things that are personally life-changing for him. This day ends very differently to how it began for the said centurion. And in that sense, there is a very striking providence perspective to this incident from the perspective, from the very personal perspective of the centurion. And that is where we find our first common denominator with the centurion, because there are days like this in your life and in my life as well where we encounter a felt sense of God's providence, of God's intervention. We begin a day, we propose, we plan, we plot out our days, we map out our programme for the day, we have a to-do list and we intend to stick to it, but divine providence says otherwise. Events overtake us. Something significant happens during the day. God intervenes in a specific way. He shows his hand in a very personal and powerful way. Maybe you've experienced a day like that. Events unfold. You're startled, you're shaken, you're stopped in your path just like this centurion. Your day ends very differently to how it began. And there are times in our lives when events really do overtake us 
significant turning points and milestones. And maybe you remember that day. May you remember, maybe you remember the date. May you, remember, you might even remember the time at which that significant event that changed your life happened. God, in his sovereignty, doesn't he? He reminds us that his ways are higher than our ways. Just like this Roman centurion, today, this day, is no ordinary day. I hope that as we stand where he stood, that we might have a heightened awareness of the presence of God and that through the message of the cross, through word and sacrament combined, we might too see the crucified Jesus that he saw so that at least the service might end differently to how it began for us as we walked through that door. Secondly, I want us to think about his position. We've thought about his providence very briefly, but I want us to spend a little more time on his position. Because Mark tells us, doesn't he, in just a few words, that the Roman centurion saw much. His standpoint is quite the vantage point. Because Mark tells us here specifically, he tells us of his exact position. There he is standing at Calvary in front of the crucified Jesus. Mark tells us that he is facing Jesus. Now if we just unpack the sum and substance of what Mark is telling us here in the original language of the New Testament, then it's striking, it's significant, because what Mark is telling us is that the centurion stood directly in front of Jesus. He is standing in close proximity to Jesus. To the point where he can almost sense the very breath of Jesus upon him. And whilst his men are casting lots over Jesus' garment and mocking him, Mark tells us that the centurion just stood there, locked looking at the crucified Jesus of Calvary. How long, we don't know, but Mark would indicate that it was no glance. He tells us that he stood there facing Jesus, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, He is clearly affected, isn't he, by the way in which Jesus breathed his last. We see him pondering. We see him 
pondering and reflecting on the extraordinary events that have led up to Jesus' final cry on the cross. Now let's go back to verse 33 because Mark tells us that darkness has enveloped Calvary over a three-hour period from around 12 noon to 3 p.m. And this is a decisive moment. It's the moment where things really begin to crystallize, where the seven sayings of the cross really come uh, to uh, a decisive climax. It's at this point that Jesus cries, it is finished. It's at this point that Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit just before Jesus breathes his last. He will utter his seventh and final parting word as recorded by Luke Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What happens then? When Jesus does so, we are told that the earth shook and the rocks split. And then breaking news filters through that there has been a remarkable development in the temple. The curtain of the temple has been torn in two from top to bottom. How much the Roman centurion understood of what he saw and heard in the final moments of Jesus' death on Calvary's cross is another matter. The The supernatural darkness of God's judgment he witnessed. The symbolic significance of this earth-shattering experience. Events within the recesses of the temple, the dividing curtain, miraculously torn, split, sliced from top to bottom, removing once and for all the separating divide between the holy place and the most holy place, allowing no less than full access to God via the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless sin-bearer on Calvary's cross, the very one crucified. The one whom the centurion is facing, the veil is torn, the way to God is wide open, rendering the temple sacrifices now obsolete. How much he understood, we don't know, but he saw and he heard much, didn't he? All of which puts the Lord's Supper for us today into focus. Because we too, As we sang a moment ago, we too behold the man, Christ Jesus, upon the cross. My sins, plural, upon his shoulders. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The Lord's Supper 
gives us a vantage point through which we see through the eye of faith something of his broken body and his shed blood which this man witnessed with the naked eye. But he saw much more than that. Which is verified by what he later said, which we'll come to in a moment. Everything that he has witnessed, everything that he has seen, everything that his senses have been exposed to is literally and metaphorically earth-shattering. We are talking about a cataclysmic event in history. That's what Calvary was over 2,000 years ago. Earth-shattering beyond any readings on the Richter scale. And the epicenter of it all is Calvary. And he's there, he's standing there, just a whisker away from Jesus because it all revolves around Jesus and the centurion is standing right there facing Jesus the focal point of everything can you imagine those who would have taken cover As the earth shakes beneath their feet, as the rocks split and shatter, some are seen running for their lives, terrified, recognizing that there is more to all of this than meets the naked eye. They scatter and they disperse, but Mark tells us that the Roman centurion just stood there, stationary, still, Fixed to the spot facing Jesus. His position hasn't altered. We see him for however long gazing at Jesus intently, he, along with a small number of others, were, as Matthew tells us in chapter 27, verse 54, filled with awe. At what took place. And again in a very real way. The Roman centurion circumstances. Mirrors ours today. Because it is through the Lord's Supper. I say again. That we too. Are here. Facing the same Jesus. As he stood facing. Are we filled with awe? I hope we are. As we marvel, as we remember, as we recall, as we recollect the events of Calvary. For as often as you remember, as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But perhaps there are some here this morning 
who distance themselves from the cross, just like those who stood looking on, not from where the centurion stands, but on the periphery of Calvary, at a distance. I want to encourage you to come in. Don't back off, but come and stand where he stood. Others are seen, of course, as the gospel writers tell us, beating their breasts, not in repentance, but in remorse at what might have been. What have we done? How did it get to this point? What is happening now? All but this Roman centurion who just stood there, but his standing is significant. His position matters. He is facing Jesus. He stands out for his stand. And so do you and I today if we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You have made your stand and perhaps it wasn't yesterday you made that stand for Jesus. Maybe you remember when you stood, as it were, facing him, challenged, rattled by the message of the cross. That life-changing day perhaps was some time yesteryear. But today I knew we come together. And we stood where he stood, and I hope that his position, that his providence resonates with us, that we too will feel that sense of awe as we remember and render thanks for his atoning sacrifice. So, we give thanks for the Lord's Supper as we adopt the centurion's position. And look at and to Jesus. We take our stand for Jesus. We gaze at him as he did. And we submit to him as he will. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross of Mark chapter 15, scorning its shame. And the Jesus we remember is the one who sat down with resurrection glory at the right hand of the throne of God. And we will in a moment Proclaim his death until he comes again. Amen.